You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Uh, my passage this morning is picking up in, in Luke uh, chapter 11. We've been in Luke for quite some time now. Last week's passage concluded with a metaphor from Jesus where the eye is like a lamp into the body. In other words, the things that we dwell on are the things that dwell in us, right? The things that we dwell on are the things that dwell in us, in our hearts and minds, and so we should be filled with light, Jesus says, not filled with darkness. So today we continue to learn about how Jesus is truly concerned with what is inside of each of us, right? That God, as it turns out, is far more concerned with what's in us than with how we just appear on the outside. And in today's passage, Jesus gets in, uh, specific in, a, in an argument with the religious leaders over dinner. Um, so turn to your Bibles in Luke 11, if you have one. Um, I'm going to be reading verses 37 to 53 in total, but I'm also going to be pausing as I go and reading in, in chunks, okay? So 11, 37 to 41 to begin. As Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees claim the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who make the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. So Jesus is invited to dinner by a Pharisee, which is interesting. Uh, and he must be getting dirty looks from the host right from the beginning, because Jesus can tell somehow that he's offended them, and it has to do with washing his hands. Now, I have to say that sometimes I'm offended when my family, my children, do not wash their hands before eating, because it's gross. I know where their hands have been. Um, and this is actually not the problem, right? You're not talking about soap and water before eating. You're talking about a religious ceremony, as it says. Um, Mark's gospel explains it like this. The Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they've washed. And there are many other customs that they've received and keep, like the washing of cups, Pitches, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. I don't know what a dining couch is, but I want one. <laughs> I'll put it on my Christmas list. I suppose any couch can be a dining couch if you do it right. Um, so for the Pharisees, this was kind of their main thing, right? We know this about them. It's their job to apply very specific rules based on general principles from Scripture. They take what's in the Bible, and then they create more and more uh, specific things about how to follow the Bible. Uh, for example, the Sabbath, the Scripture says, uh, every seven days to observe the Sabbath for one day, and they say, well, what does that mean? Uh, it could mean all kinds of things. So there's over 200 rules about how to keep or not break the Sabbath, right? That's a common example. Practical ways that they believed that they should follow the Scripture in specific detail. So let's pause there for a moment. The desire to please God and to live according to Scripture specifically is actually a good thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, and so in defense of the Pharisees, 
They believed that their religious behavior was the right thing to do. And so I say this as a disclaimer as we begin, because we're going to keep this in mind and return to this thought at the end as well as we ask God about applying what he's teaching us this morning. Keep it in mind. And to warn you, the scriptures that are ahead of us are tough ones. We'll pay attention to the text as we go through, and we'll see that for Jesus, uh, the traditions themselves are not what upset him, but it's the wrong perspective on their traditions, right? So the desire to live according to Scripture is a good one. And carefully following traditions to help us live that way isn't actually a bad idea at all. But there are wrong ways to go about it, aren't there? Uh, Theologian Daryl Bach puts it this way, sometimes the obsessive pursuit of what is right results in some very serious wrongs. The obsessive pursuit of what is right can result in very serious wrongs. And so this is where the Pharisees are sitting. Their traditions that they have have clouded their perspective. They've got things in the wrong order, and so Jesus rebukes them. Uh, Before we go on, I want to mention what uh, a few weeks ago in Kidsgate we were learning about the Pharisees as well, uh, which was fun. And I used these cups to visualize the example that uh, Jesus gave in, in chapter in, in verse 39. Um, because on the outside, I drink from these, I do drink from these cups. They say Lethbridge Breakfast Club on them, and I've got about a dozen downstairs. So if you really like these mugs, uh, I can hook you up. I don't know where they came from, but I will pass them out if you really want one. Um, some sort of artifact from the church's history. Uh, Lethbridge Breakfast Club. So, anyways, on the outside, um, they look great. Um, I could drink from either of them, uh, apparently. But the problem is that one of these is uh, filthy on the inside. One of them is, is actually nice and clean, good for drinking from. So let's play a little game. Um, if you think that this cup on this side is a filthy one, uh, raise your hand. You've got a 50-50 chance here, guys. So it's, it's not that big of a risk. So not that many people. Uh, so, so this side, raise your hand if you think this is the gross one. Okay, well, survey says some of you were right, but most of you were wrong. Uh, And that's the thing about the outside of the cup. You can't tell by looking at it, can you? But this, I don't want to drink from. Uh, It's got brown sticky stuff in it, which is um, uh, chocolate ice cream. So you'd have a little chocolate ice cream drink if you did try to drink from this. I think my kids would actually like that, but I would not. It's gross. And that's the point is, it is what is inside that matters, isn't it? It's what is inside that matters, and that's what we're going to repeat this morning as we go. It reminds me of 1 Samuel 17, 7, which says, Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what's visible, but the Lord sees the heart. And Jesus, being the Lord, sees the hearts of these Pharisees, and he is not impressed He's not impressed with the outside, which looks good, with the washing of hands and and kettles and couches and other things. He sees their heart, and he sees hypocrisy on the inside. In Mark 7, uh, again, Jesus is, it's a parallel passage to this one, so I wanted to refer to it again. Mark 7, 6 to 8, Jesus answered the the Pharisees, uh, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart 
is far from me. They worship me in vain. They teach doctrines as human commands, abandoning the command of God. You hold on to human tradition. Let's read further in Luke 11 as Jesus goes into detail. Verse 40, again, fools, he says, didn't he who make the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. And then there's three woes. He says, woe to you, Pharisees. You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. You're like unmarked graves. The people walk over them and don't even know it. So the drama continues to unfold at this dinner. I have to wonder about the intentions of the host who invited Jesus over. At this point, he's either really regretting having Jesus uh, sit and dine with his friends because things are getting super awkward, or uh, perhaps he's getting exactly what he wanted, right? Maybe he wanted an argument with Jesus to find out what he was all about. We don't know. But either way, Jesus roasts them. Boom, roasted, boom, roasted. Again, well, three times so far, three burns on the Pharisees. He says, it doesn't matter if you appear amazing on the outside. You're evil in your minds and hearts, and you're fools. You can be a perfectly religious person on the outside, but still miss the mark in your soul. So Jesus calling them fools is especially insulting. I mean, if anybody ever calls you a fool, it hurts your feelings. But this is even amplified because for them to be a fool, if you read Proverbs, which they would have memorized, the fool is the one whose mind is blinded to the things of God, right? The fool does not know the truth of God. They're far from wisdom, and these Pharisees would probably see themselves as just the opposite, right? They know the things of God. They've memorized the whole books, all of them. They practice them. They, they think about them. It's literally their job. Jesus says, you're fools. And then there's three specific ways that he, examples of their foolishness. Um, three burns, which I'll go over just really quick. First, he tackles their self-righteous tithing. So again, here's an example of a tradition from Scripture. It's a good thing. But we can twist it and practice it hypocritically. It seems that the Pharisees felt justified because of their faithfulness to the smallest amount of you know, detail. You can imagine with the herbs, if you had them all weighed out and took a tenth of them to donate. Again, to them, this was a good thing. But Jesus is saying, you're wasting your time on that. You're, you're focusing on that, but you aren't even involved in the big tenets of God's word, which is love and justice. You're distracted. You're blind to the bigger things. It is possible to give your things away, to give your money for the wrong reasons. It's possible to give your things away and still be greedy inside. That's the first rebuke. The second one says they love the attention that they get because of their status, right? Instead of giving that glory to God in their leadership, they collect it for themselves. And so they're prideful. They're prideful. And it's, it's obvious that it's possible 
to be involved in leadership for selfish reasons. And God despises this, plain and simple. He is not cool with it. And then the third rebuke is probably my favorite. It sounds like a strange one where he says, you know, there's these unmarked graves and people are walking over them. Well, Numbers 19.16 says that anyone in an open field who touches a person who's been killed by the sword or has died or even touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days, which is fair enough. So the Pharisees hear this instruction and, and uh, they think, okay, well, what about this situation? What about that situation, right? Like, what if there's a grave that's unmarked and, and we don't even know that we've touched it? Which to us sounds a little bit strange, but it's probably it's more likely to have happened in this time and place. So they worry about it. And Jesus takes their worries, their focus, their interpretation of the law, and, and uses it to display just how far off they are. He says, you yourselves are the graves, meaning you are totally unclean. What's more is, the people who follow you are by association being made unclean without even knowing it. This is a scathing critique of the Pharisees and their arrogance and their ignorance to the kingdom of God while they pursue what they're pursuing. It's heavy. Um, verse 45, though, lightens the mood a little bit because while Jesus is just laying into the Pharisees, then one of the other guests decides to pipe up. <laughs> one of the experts of the law answered him, and he said, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. Oh, my goodness. I don't know why this guy can't keep his mouth shut. Um, maybe you have a friend like this, and at the exact wrong time, they just say the wrong thing, or we've probably all done it before, right? He makes the situation worse by speaking up. You're ruining the party, Jesus, and everyone's feelings are getting hurt all at once. Um, so the scribes, though, are, they work with the Pharisees. They're distinct, but they overlap. So it's their job to basically know exactly what the scripture means itself. Whereas the Pharisees were about applying it, theirs was about knowing the, the truth of the word itself. They were lawyers, as some of your Bibles in, uh, interpret the word. So let's keep reading, because <laughs> Jesus has three humongous rebukes for them as well. Verse 46 to 54, he said, Woe also to you, experts of the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. You built tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore, your witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. So this, that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Woe to you, experts of the law, You've taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. 
And when Jesus left there, the scribes and Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and cross-examine him about many things that were lying in wait for him to trap him in something that he said. Okay, so let's go over those rebukes. First of all, they hold unrealistic expectations of others without even offering to help. Right? They're acting like spiritual uh, slave drivers for God's people. They're making the burden so heavy, and they're not even helping. This is an, a big contrast to uh, Jesus, who invites his followers in Matthew 11 to take his burden, which is not heavy, but light and easy. Secondly, Jesus lets the scribes know that he's not impressed by their monuments to prophets who were killed by their forefathers. In other words, he says, you scribes are pretending to be better than your murderous ancestors. However, you're still a part of the system that is oppressing the truth and, as it turns out, will eventually kill Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, Abel to Zechariah, this is literally the beginning and end of the Old Testament for them. All the blood of them is on their hands because they do not repent for it. And the third woe to the experts is because they're taking away the key to knowledge. Again, this is so in their face. They think that they know. They do know. And so as experts, they should be opening the door for other people to walk through, those who are hungry for the truth, to know God, to know about God, to understand what's in his word. Because a good biblical scholar is a blessing to the world, aren't they? Their gift is to share the truth with others. But these guys, instead of opening that door, they are putting bricks to build a wall, stopping others from coming in. And Jesus says, not only that, you yourselves don't even go through into the truth. You've taken away the key. This is heavy. Um, so as I prayed about the passage this morning, I felt that Jesus' teaching is very clear. Jesus hates hypocrisy. He can't stand it, especially a religious hypocrisy. He's not okay with it. Whereas with other more worldly sinners, you know, stories of other people in, in the ministry of his life, he seemed to have far more patience for. But when it comes to this particular kind of sin, Jesus directly condemns the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, don't be a hypocrite. So to me, this is not that hard to understand, right? We know what it means to be a hypocrite. And Jesus says, don't. Don't be that way. So the teaching is not hard to understand. But the challenge for us, I think, lies not in whether or not we understand it, but in how we respond to it. The challenge is in how we respond to this teaching. Because the instruction makes sense to us, right? And yet, depending on who you ask, Christians are just as hypocritical as anyone else, or possibly even more so. Again, that depends who you ask. But there is a disconnect in our hearing of today's passage and in our responding to it. Perhaps we hear Jesus' rebukes, and, and, and in taking them into our lives, there's, there's something wrong with the way that we are applying them or being shaped by them. And so 
in this sense, I believe there are two main ways that at least I'll highlight this morning that are incorrect and, and that we want to avoid in responding to Jesus' rebukes. Two incorrect responses. The first and biggest one comes back to our phobia of the Pharisees, as I said at the beginning. We hear the rebukes from Jesus and we say, thank you, God, that I am not a Pharisee. Thank you, Lord, that I am not a Pharisee. Am I right? So by doing this, we distance ourselves from them thinking, oh, I'm so glad that these woes are not for me because I'm not a Pharisee. It's true. You're not a Pharisee. But that does not mean that none of this applies to us. It's because we oversimplify things, right? We know that Jesus is the good guy, and the silly Pharisees, they're the bad guys, and so shame on them. We're on Jesus' side, right? And that's not a constructive reading this morning. The Pharisees do have a bad rap, and rightfully so, but let's not oversimplify the reality that I mentioned at the beginning, that these are devout men. They're human beings who had a conviction in their life and possibly good intentions to try to live according to God's will. The Pharisees are so much more than just bad guys in the story of the New Testament. Yes, they were wrong in these important areas that Jesus is highlighting, but you and I aren't exactly perfect either, are we? So you can see where this is going. Um, I think we've shared this quote before, but it's definitely worth saying again. Timothy Keller puts it simply, the fastest way to become a Pharisee is to hate a Pharisee. <laughs> Not literally, but for sure in our hearts. The fa if, if you want to become a Pharisee, then just hate them. That's how it works. Because when we read the scripture this morning, and we twist it to feel self-righteous about ourselves, thank God I'm not a Pharisee, then we're behaving in the way that got the Pharisees in trouble in the first place. So this is the first incorrect response, is, is to try to do our best to completely distance ourselves from what Jesus would be teaching the Pharisees, to, to even hate them in an attempt to get out of being criticized by Jesus' teaching. Let's not do that. And the second response stems, uh, wrong response stems from the first one. When we place this unfair blame on their shortcomings, I do see a temptation for us to completely write off anything that would remind us of being a Pharisee, including good traditions and religious practices. All right, let's remember uh, how Jesus didn't get angry at them and say, why are you tithing? Stop it. No, he said, you're just going about it wrong. Your focus is on the wrong things. You're wasting your time being so meticulous in following the rules about tithing that you neglected the others. He says you should have done it, but continued in the right perspective with the big things in mind, which is justice and love. And sometimes I think we use the Pharisees as an excuse to get out of doing them things which seem religious to us. Right? Like, oh, I don't want to be uh, to this or to that because I'm going to turn into a Pharisee. I don't want that. There's a little bit of truth in that. Yeah, you don't want to become self-righteous and pharisaical. But on the other hand, if I'm honest, I don't think that that many of us as Western Christians are really close to being like the Pharisees. I think we're possibly more on the other side of the spectrum where we don't have enough discipline 
and practice in our lives. And so let's not uh, you know, stray from the good disciplines and practices that God might be wanting to use in our lives or the traditions that we have. You know, we're not the most traditional church, but we have traditions. We met here at a certain time. That's a tradition, right? Uh, and everything else. It, it's all technically traditions. And so let's not think of ourselves as so uh, unlike the Pharisees, again, that, that, that we want to avoid becoming them in, in our spiritual practices or disciplines. So the problem with this response is when our traditions, our practices, our orthodoxy, our theology become idols, become things which supersede our love for the living God. Okay? So there's a couple pitfalls in responding, but how should we respond to the challenging words of Jesus this morning? The third and better way of responding to Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees is to humbly ask the Lord, what in these rebukes are applicable to me, to you and I? God, what in, in, you, in what you're saying to the Pharisees and scribes would be applicable in my own life? Of course, this is not the easy response. The easier ones are the first ones where we dismiss the Pharisees, and condemn them and carry on. But this is the better response. To ask ourselves, to ask the Lord, where in my spiritual life am I lacking substance? Right? Where, where have I uh, traded off real worship for something performative? How am I attempting to only clean the outside of the cup and not letting you, Lord, deal with what's within. Because it is true, as we read, that Jesus cannot stand hypocrisy. He's not okay with it. But there is hope for us. There's hope for the Pharisees. There's hope for any person who would turn and submit themselves back to God and be made clean again, right? And this is the beauty and why, why I would tell you to ask these hard questions and to be humble in our response this morning is because we bring all this to a God of grace. We can lay our sins down at the cross of Christ. And by simply admitting that we too, you know, even entertaining the thought that possibly we could require fixing like the Pharisees, understand that God is faithful. He's so faithful to start this process, to continue the process, and see it through in your life of cleaning you from the inside out. This is his will all along for us. It says this in Psalm 51, 6 to 8. The psalmist says, surely you desire integrity in the inner self, that would be the opposite of hypocrisy to me, integrity. God, you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. So he turns to God and says, purify me with hyssop, and I'll be made clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. So the psalmist knows the truth that he needs to be clean within. So he cries out to God and he calls on God's faithfulness. 
He says, surely, God, this is your will. This is what you desire for me, so do it, God. Cleanse me. Make me whole again. Make me rejoice. So this is our response this morning. This is the good response. Whether you think that you're the least religious person in the room or you're a Pharisee, it actually doesn't matter because Jesus is ready and willing and able to take our sin, our self-righteousness, uh, whatever's inside that is unclean, and, and he will make us righteous in his name. He's faithful to do it. I wanted to conclude this thought on uh, 1 John 1, 7-9, which says, If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus the Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in Christ, he makes us whole. He restores us. And as this happens, then we're brought back to the things that, that Jesus was reminding the Pharisees of. The, the love, the justice, the mercy, the generosity towards others. And I like that in 1 John it says uh, that this happens in fellowship with one another as well. We're united to, one, to other Christians as we submit to Jesus. So Jesus is inviting us today into this life of deep and true and meaningful religion and worship, right? To turn away from whatever hypocrisy might lie within. And as we confess our sins, as we submit them to God, he will cleanse us. He will lead us into light. Again, as we heard last week and started this morning off with, his light will live as individuals and together as the church. This is good. Let's pray. God, as we hear the words of Jesus, his anger at the Pharisees and the scribes, we admit that we too are capable of hypocrisy, Lord. We recognize that the traditions that we hold are not necessarily evil, God, but that idolizing anything above you is a sin for which we must repent. So God, we submit ourselves to you this morning and ask you, Lord, to renew our hearts and minds for your spirit to minister to us, God, and teach us and lead us more into the light that you have called us to as Christians. Lord, I thank you that the conviction of your Holy Spirit is not a condemnation for us, but a call to return to you, our Father, and that you have open arms. Lord, may each of us be humbled today to release whatever pride or arrogance is stopping us from love and from justice. Let us not make excuses in these areas or remain lazy towards the good things that you would be leading us into, God. Instead, would you help us in your grace, Lord, to be a church that is worthy to bear the name of Jesus as we proclaim it to the world today and each day. It is in Jesus' powerful and beautiful name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen.